All right. Hi. Welcome to Late to the Party, episode 16. This is the Geeks Unleashed book club, in addition to our regular podcast episodes, where we work through what's considered some of the most essential graphic novels of all time. And for our 16th episode, because it is December and we have deemed it so, we are covering Scott Pilgrim, volume four, uh, because two years ago we decided Scott Pilgrim is officially a Christmas book. So we are continuing our Christmas tradition. Scott Pilgrim, Scott Pilgrim, volume four, Scott Pilgrim gets it together. It's actually four years running, not two. So no, years. yeah, but we didn't declare this a Christmas oh, book okay, until okay, after okay. we had done oh, okay. it twice. Uh, okay, okay. I apologize. <laughs> right. Okay. Anyway, so I'm Mark. I'm Jasmine. And also our guest host this week is our, um, the founder and uh, host of the Pop Culture Philosophers on YouTube and the weekly comic book review. Uh, welcome, Robbie. Hey, Station. Super excited to be here. This is one of my favorite Christmas traditions is sitting down and chatting with y'all about the next Scott Pilgrim book. Like, I absolutely love it. And it is 100% a Christmas comic series. Nobody can argue against it at this point, right? That's right. It has been decided. I, I think we've said this before, actually, like every family has their traditions. And I'm, I'm sure I said this last year, like every Christmas, me and my wife sit down and watch the Beverly Hills Cop trilogy. Uh, it's got nothing to do with Christmas, but for some reason she loves watching it at Christmas. So when I actually earlier in the year came on your channel and did the Beverly Hills Cop films, she wouldn't watch it with me because she said, no, 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 no. I only watch these at Christmas. And she, <laughs> she, oh, so she she's like, I can't watch these now. And I had to leave the room and said, no, this is a Christmas tradition. I don't want to ruin it for myself. So that's you just funny. tell her it's Christmas in July, you know, yeah. that's what you do. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so uh, Scott Pilgrim has become a tradition. I don't know what we're going to do in in. When, when we finish, have to make a new tradition. We're so. going to have to reach out to O'Malley and be like, hey, so uh, volume seven. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> can, can I was we? thinking about, I, I was thinking happen? about, do you know what? Like, I know before we get into this, I was thinking about like jokingly, like we could just make Preacher our new thing. Like, so, or, or so. <laughs> <laughs> like, I like the idea that. of harassing <laughs> Brian Lee O'Malley into making more Scott Pilgrim so that yes. we can keep, or maybe we can cover the movie. One yeah. year, and then the next yeah, year, yeah. Do the, the, they just did the, the Netflix series, series yeah. right? Yeah. With the same cast? That's wild. Yeah. That, oh, okay, should. maybe we could do that. We should start yeah, our okay. campaign January 1st. Be like, hey, so here's the deal. We're giving you two years notice. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> we really need you to start working on volume seven, so it'll be ready to go by 2027. Please and thank you. <laughs> um, so before we go into any kind of Q&As, I've written down, and it is a long list of characters that are in this book, and some of them uh, take up more page time than others. So within this book, we have Scott Pilgrim, Ramona Flowers, Julie Powers, Kim Pine, Stephen Stills, Young Neil, Nice Chow, Wallace Wells, Jason Kim, who makes his first and only appearance, Holly Hawks, Joseph, Lisa Miller, who takes up a large chunk of this book, um, Tamara Chen, Mr. Chow, who makes his first and only appearance, uh, Stacey Pilgrim, Dominique, Crystal Peter, uh, Roxy Richer, who's quite an important character in this book as as uh, one of the exes, uh, Mrs. Chow. Uh, there's a couple of others in here as well, but that those are some good cast members that take up quite a good chunk of this book. Mm -hmm. um, just a quick summary of volume four. So this volume takes place during the summer of 2005. It's set two months after Scott has 
defeated Todd Ingram and it kicks off the main characters having to get together on the beach for Judy's birthday. And then within volume four, we have chapters 19 to 25 of the Scott Pilgrim saga, I guess, uh, (laughs) where we get to see Scott Pilgrim start basically getting his shit together. So um, that's the summary of this book. How did you guys read it before we go any further? Jasmine, how did you read it? Digital. I, I am a digital girl. <laughs> <laughs> Unless it's like something that really, really, really jumps out at me. Uh, at this point, I'm probably going to hit it on digital first. And if I love it, then I'll pick up a hard copy. But I was digital. That's fine. And what about you, Robbie? Physical. Physical hardcover right here. I, I love and adore these hardcovers. You know, they got those soft covers. Well, first mm-hmm. of all, they got the original manga size black and white ones. Those are still available. And then they got the ones where they're colored, but they're like three volumes. So it's two volumes per book. And mm-hmm. those are fine. But these hardcovers are nice. They come with a lot of back, like a back material. And mm-hmm. they're just nice and sturdy and designed very well. So I had to grab this and check it out. I'm the I like same. that Wallace I... is on the cover too. I think that's awesome. <laughs> with no <laughs> pants. I know the no pants thing. <laughs> that was an ongoing gag in this book. But, yes. uh, yeah. So uh no, I have the hard copy too. And like you actually, one of the things I do love is um like all this sort of the the DVD extra type things at the end, like the, the bits that they cut out as well. Um so before so so to get into it, what's just our initial thoughts on volume four? Actually, Robbie, do you want to go first? Yeah, I'll go first. I I really like book four, right? One of the things I like about this whole series is that as ridiculous as it can be, it is a very grounded and realistic and authentic feeling story about a bunch of people in their early 20s, right? Mm. Kind of that in-between phase of life where you've like you've graduated high school, maybe you're in college, maybe you're in and out of college, maybe you skip college, and you're just in this kind of world where it's kind of fuzzy, uh, unclear. You don't know necessarily what your next steps are going to be. You don't know how to be an adult. You're still holding on to being a kid, but you realize that you're trying to have more responsibilities, more freedom. You're developing relationships. You're starting to lose connection uh, with people from your past and meeting new people, or you're starting to reconnect with people from your past. And every time, every year that I've been reading these books, I get taken back to my 20s. I get taken back to my early 20s, and this in particular reminds me of the time when I realized I got to work, you know, because at that time I was working at a comic shop a couple days a week. I was working at a sandwich shop a couple days a week. I spent most of my time just partying, hanging out at bars. I love in this one that they go to the same crappy Mexican restaurant slash bar every night. That was Hmm. me and my homies. We just went, we're like, food's terrible, but it's cheap. And the pictures are cheap, you know, and and that's what we did. And it's kind of like it feels monotonous, but those are the times in our life that really start defining who we're going to be as an adult. Right. Like not necessarily like what our purpose is, what our mission is, what we want to do with our lives, but who we're going to be in a community. Right. And starting to develop that outside of like like a structure or paradigm like high school or college, right? You have your community, you start to find your place in it. And this is the point where Scott's starting to get his shit together. And I remember that. I remember like having to give up these silly jobs and get a real job that had to be at work every morning at like 6.30 and I worked till 5.30 and it sucked, right? But 
It gave me the freedom to be able to develop and to be able to develop relationships with people and spend time with people. And that's what this book in particular reminded me of. And the insecurities that comes about young love in your 20s when you think it's like do or die. You're like, if I can't mm -hmm. nail it right now, my life is ruined. You know, it's that's not actually the case. But this really reminds me of me and my friend group at this time in my life. And and I, I love it. I, I thought the artwork's getting solid. It's getting sleeker. He's experimenting more with techniques and storytelling. Um, and I just think that the script is getting better. And I love how he's able to balance the ground authenticity of these people in this time of their lives and still have it just be crazy where they're going through subspace and people are turning into bunny rabbits and all that kind of stuff and, <laughs> and not pay too much attention on that. Like that's not the focus focus is on the real um, authentic characters and relationships. Yeah, awesome. Uh, that is you, way deeper than <laughs> what, <laughs> what I got when I was reading volume four. Um, it definitely took me back. It reminded me of some of the stupid things me and my friends got into at that age. Uh, especially like you said, they go into the same restaurant all the time, like three times a week to the point where like, it didn't matter who your waiter was. Everybody knew what your usual order was. Um, so I think just kind of like the familiarity of, I get that, uh, was, was the vibe I got reading this one. Um, and I think because like, there's so many more characters in this volume than we've had before. But like regular people, not just the people that kind of pop in and out, but like the same people going to uh, that Tex-Mex, which first of all, I'm not buying that a Tex-Mex place in Canada is worth anything. <laughs> so I can't, it can't possibly be decent. Um, but I just kind of enjoyed the nothingness of it. It's almost like Seinfeld, like you're reading it and nothing is really happening, but like you're still enjoying the nothingness that's not happening. Um but it, it's like an easy read. It's super light. It doesn't require much. There's, of course, there's plenty of gags and we'll get to that. But like, it's just kind of light, fun. And it's definitely reminiscent for sure. Yeah, I agree. I agree with you. I, well, both, both of you, to be honest, the, the whole uh, reminiscent of my early 20s, whilst I had got a, a more serious job from around 21, before 21, there was, I think it was to like 18 or 19. I worked in a hotel. And then for two years, I, I did have a an office job, but I didn't take it probably as seriously as I could. And then and then from about 21, uh, that's when I started more <laughs> my much more serious career. Although it was in a real low-level data entry role. <laughs> I was very much nine to five. There was no real overtime put in by me. And uh and then I obviously quite happily enjoyed my evenings and and had very similar friendship groups. Um, and we had a regular, but obviously in England, we love pubs. So I had a regular pub that I would attend. Oh, so uh, fancy. Thank, well, thank God that you didn't have a Tex-Mex restaurant there because if they're bad in Canada, I can't imagine what oh, it's like Oh, they've got to be awful there for sure. <laughs> Probably. Listen, I tried a Tex-Mex place when I was in New Zealand. Uh, nice. I was like, I, I went specifically because it was like Tex-Mex. And I was like, in New Zealand? I don't think so. And I went in there and I was like, all right, I'm just going to try it. And I was like, no, 
I no, whatever yeah. you got going on, wherever you think you got going on, unless you got some real Mexicans back there in that kitchen. No, this is all a no for me. I'm sorry. <laughs> I don't, you know, I've never even heard of Tex Mex. I don't, I'm gonna quickly, uh, it's a delicacy in my state, obviously. Yeah, it's like an Americanized Mexican food, right? right? Is basically what it is because, like, what most people in the states here eat as Mexican food is not, it's, it's more like border. Amount. It's almost like a, it's like a fusion in a way, right? Yeah, but it's it's like a big difference when because I when I lived in California, me and all of my Texas friends that moved to California, we were all just shocked at how different the Mexican food was out there. We were just like, this is nothing like what we're used to, and that's kind of when we really understood like the difference between Mexican food and Tex-Mex food. Very okay, I have just for your information, googled it. There is one Tex-Mex in the UK. So is it close uh, to you? No. Uh, well, you, you got to get there, Mark, because we need a report. That's yes, what we need. definitely. We need we need to know. It's in honesty, it's not too far from my parents. So if I ever go to my parents' house, I will go over. To okay. Okay. So well, I'm going to bug you it, about it, it now. It's an hour and a half away from me. So <laughs> that's nothing in my city. I drive an hour and a half every day in my city. No big deal. Um, for us, that's a long way. So. Um, <laughs> We have a much smaller island. Uh, anyway, yeah, no, the one I used to frequent quite regularly was called the King's Head. It was ridiculous, like to the point where I could go in that pub on my own, knowing that my friends would be there. That's how how like I could go on a Friday night, not ring any of them, not message any of them. I'd walk in on a Friday night, and they would all be there. So that and that's how, how like that's just how our lives were at that point in time. But no, in regards to this book, when I was reading it. I, I liked that intro with the beach scene. I thought that was cool. That, that again, reminiscent for me. My parents have got a caravan, uh, one of those static caravans, and they've, uh, they're have they on the second one, but it's in the same location, uh, five-minute walk from a beach. Uh, and at that point in my life, I, I get it was very similar to that King's Head thing. I could go down there and I'd meet the same – I'd have a, like a friendship group down the coast. Uh, uh, so we all lived in different parts of England, and we'd all go down to – you guys won't know where this is, but it's um, uh, near Bognor Regis in in the in the UK, and uh, we could all go down there. We we would all message each other, but yeah, you know, but you could just go down there and walk into uh, the local bar that was on the site there, and you'd just run into a load of your friends. Or we could go down the. We'd sometimes all go down by the beach and hang out down by the beach. And so this opening scene, I was like, this is like most of my summers of my early twenties was just was this. Um, so. As the book progressed, I'll be honest, I did get, and I was still, sorry, I was starting to get frustrated with Scott and Ramona, and there were there was various frustrations. And then as the book went on, I, those frustrations did fall away, but I was getting frustrated with this relationship. And I started to think, what is the chemistry and the connection between these two? Because I'm in the beginning of the book, I wasn't really feeling it, but then things did start start to shift, and I was getting also frustrated with Scott and his whole. I don't know, like, there's a comment in there about Scott, you know, if your life had a face, I'd want to punch in the balls or something. And I was, like, feeling like the same. I just want to shake this guy and say to him, mate, you're 24 years old. Like, you've got no job. You've got no aspirations. Just, like, what's going on? And then uh, and then he sort of had this whole anxiety. And it took him, like, four or five places to go before he even had the nerve to ask for a job. And then, and, and yeah, like my first ever job, which was 16, was washing dishes as well. And um, it's weird that it took him till 24 to, to get that job. But yeah, I, I was getting quite frustrated with him. And I'm glad that towards the end, though, the narrative has taken a shift. And I'm actually more excited to see 
what's going to happen with him. So I sort of see volume four as quite one of those sort of stepping stone novels from what we had in volumes one to three to what I'm assuming volume five and six will be a massive change in direction. I've never read, I, I, this is my first reading of this. I've never read it before. I know this is a rereading for you, isn't it, Robbie? Yes, for sure. Yeah. No, so I don't know what's to come for Scott's future, but I am now much more excited for the life ahead of him than what, we, what we've had already, I'll be honest. So it was, it was nice to see the shift and the dynamic start to change. Uh, but but yeah, if it had been in, if it had ended with him still not working and still doing this dilly dally dance that he was doing with Ramona, I probably would shift my opinion of this book <laughs> and and him. He was beginning to frustrate me as a protagonist. I was well, and that's the arc <laughs> of the book, though, right? Yeah, because yeah, he's yeah. he's he's. I mean, it takes the cataclysm of his relationship with Ramona and that relationship being in danger, and then him and Wallace like losing their apartment. Like mm -hmm. a lot of stuff's happening to like kind of recontextualize priorities in his life. And mm -hmm. it doesn't necessarily feel like he's super introspective about it. He just kind of like, he falls ass backwards into these things. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. Like there's no reason he should have a cool chick like Ramona. Mm -hmm. There's no reason why he should just get a job because his buddy happens to work there. They're like, whatever. You know, there's no reason he should get that job back, right? There's no reason he should be able to defeat all of these evil exes that are coming at him. But I loved the idea of like, I remember like my first super serious girlfriend in my twenties, like post high school love and all that stuff. And I remember the first time, like she didn't come out with us for a night. Right. And I remember being like, and all my friends being like, something's up. And I'm like, nah, she's, she's tired. Like, nah, something's up, bro. And like something was up. And I remember like the severity of that and how it made me feel. And coincidentally that led to the situation where we told each other we loved each other, right? And so like, it's very much what happens in this book. So not mm. only is he trying to find, like, it's not only is it that he's just getting a job and he's getting his own place or he's moving in with, with, with Ramona by the end of it, right? But it's also like him realizing, why do I like this chick? Why am I attached to her? Holy cow, I think I do love her. And he's kind of, because there's that moment where Ramona asks him, like, why do you even like me? She, he's like, he can't come up with anything. Right. I mm -hmm. remember being in those situations and I'd be like, well, you're hot and you're cool. <laughs> right. And then she's just like, you know, you're nice, I guess, you know, and I'm like, they, but they figure it out. And sometimes it's not something you can put into words. Sometimes it's just a feeling of, I don't like it when they're not there. Mm -hmm. And that means something. So I, I don't know. I think to me, this is the, this is where they really solidify their relationship from just like cutesy dating to like something more serious. Yeah, I agree. I was, get, I was getting frustrated in the beginning. So I was just like, I can't see why there's this. Yeah, like you say, she's the cool hot chick, and they've really driven that home in the first three volumes. And that was kind of how this book started with, well, she's the hot cute chick and she's mysterious. And that was one of the things he said he liked about her. And she was like, look, after all these months, that's all you've got. And and then, like you say, there's things sort of happened to Scott. I wouldn't say Scott decided to wake up and go, do you know what, I'm going to go get a job. I'm actually going to be serious about Ramona. It was like a series of chain of events that made it. It could have been make or break. And actually he decided to make something of those moments rather than breaking and crumbling. I think there was a few hesitations around those moments, but he he actually stood up and sorted himself out, which actually quite pleased me because Scott sometimes can be a bit of a bumbling idiot. 
But sometimes, uh, sometimes, <laughs> quite a lot of time. All I think time. we've, I think we've agreed in previous episodes. <clears throat> it's quite selfish. I still think that selfishness is there. Mm-hmm. But I would say he's improved in tra- terms of actually making something of those key moments. And I do agree with you. There have been moments in our lives where we're like, oh, actually, hold on a second. And yeah, no, there, there was definitely more of that this time around. So. I actually cracked up so hard when they were having that conversation about, well, what do you like about me? And he, her response was, well, I like you because you're simple-minded. <laughs> it's just like, yes. I mean, what a way to sum up the entirety of Scott Pilgrim as we know him. Just like this simple-minded idiot. Like truly, yeah. that was like such a perfect line in this book. You know, yeah. there's a subtlety in his growth in this book too. And I don't think it's easy to pick up on until you start thinking about it. But like when he's like, like he hasn't even told Ramona he has a job yet, mm-hmm. right? And it's something that he typically would be bragging about. And they mentioned he's like, I haven't even bragged about it yet. Like, and it's mm-hmm. just like there is something going on where he is becoming less selfish, mm-hmm. just a little bit. Because a big part of this too is of this book, the whole series is him. You know, when you meet somebody new, and they have a romantic past without you, that mm-hmm. can be difficult for some people to deal with, especially the more inexperienced you are right Mm -hmm. and so in this one he's dealing with the idea of like oh you had a wild phase you had as he calls it a sexy phase phase. (laughs) (laughs) so i really like that too and and he's he's playing around with that and yeah i i love the idea that brian lee o'malley does not go out of his way to make scott entirely likable or heroic and and i think it ultimately will lead to a very satisfying conclusion for many people uh you know i i thought about that actually when i was reading this i thought it's weird for the the star of a story to have i get well the real the real the real characteristics though unlikability there's a lot of things where we watch where you know that they're meant to be the perfect hero character and scott pilgrim is much more of a real person i'm sure Mm -hmm. there's even things now that i do that probably irritate the crap out of people i'm sure in my early 20s (laughs) actually i just remembered something um in my early 20s um some of my friends used to refer to if i had so there's a drink i don't know if you guys know it um stella Artois. do you know it or not yeah Uh, okay yeah yeah, yeah. no i know you guys don't drink as many of our beers but anyway uh, what's european beer um what does that if mean, I, Mark? You pretentious? Come on, no, man. Like, no, 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 no. Like, I know it's like, like, like I always seem to see like Bud or Bud I, I just Light. felt like in between the lines, you were like, I know you Americans don't drink yeah. real beer. You don't have the palate for it. <laughs> no, no, it's, it's not. It's not. Well, you don't have the palate for Tex-Mex, bro. You probably think mayonnaise is spicy. How about that? No, I, I, I know you guys don't really drink. Oh, no, it's English bitter I'm thinking of. You guys don't really drink it's English bitter and stuff like that, do you? But I don't really drink English bitter. But anyway, um... No, when I was younger, if I had too many Stellas, I'd probably be quite cocky. It's uh, and my friends used to refer to it as as knob knob mode and uh, or and uh, yeah. So if I had too many to drink, that was I, I would um, maybe I became Scott Pilgrim. So yeah, me too, bro. Me too. <laughs> uh, there, there, there were there was a few times where I would be standing on a bar singing at the top of my lungs many rage against the machine songs so yeah mark in his own coyote who hasn't who hasn't stood on a bar and sang at the top of their lungs at some point 
Yeah, but yeah, the, yeah. The, the, Next the, time the, you my, do that, Mark, do yeah. Pony by Genuine. It's going to oh be God. A, and it record fun. it, please. <laughs> <laughs> so that I can use that for blackmail fodder for the rest of your life. <laughs> there, there, yeah, there was a moment where I was dating a girl and we were in a bar in Covent Garden and the Rage Against the Machine song came on. Um, I can't remember what one it is, where it's um, where it goes, F you, I won't do what you tell me. And I was singing it at the top of my lungs and pointing at, pointing at her. She was dying. She was laughing. She was laughing. She she took it well. Like, and, but, yeah. Uh, afterwards, I was like, what on earth did I do? <laughs> uh, but yeah, anyway. Right. Oh, this okay, is also not... the book where Scott drinks for the first time, right? So there you yeah. go. Yeah. Uh, yeah Two yeah. sips and he was already three sheets to the wind. <laughs> What's he doing? Like, doodly doobly doodly. Um. Anyway, artwork. I think uh, so. We're going to talk about the artwork in the book. Clearly, an important thing. And and as actually on your digital copy, Jasmine, was it coloured or, or yes. black and white? Always oh, okay. Colored. So mm -hmm. okay. So we we read it with the uh, what's his name Nathan Fairborn coloured edition. So which is what we've all got here. So um, just what thoughts on the artwork? To be honest, I felt it's fairly similar. I don't think the tone has changed in any way, but. Um, but yeah, Robbie, do you want to go first on your on your thoughts on the artwork? Yeah, I, I think he's got a more confident <clears throat> pin stroke that's going on mm -hmm. here, right? And I don't know if he did this on paper, if it's digital. I actually don't know. But at the time that this was made, it's probably more likely like paper and maybe I, I really honestly don't know. I need to I need to look into that. But there's a more confident line there. Um, there's a little bit of a I almost like the artwork better in like like the aesthetic of it better in the early volumes, like the one and two, because it almost feels a little bit more rough, even though it's still very clean animated type style. Um, it has a little bit more like texture to it. A lot of that is gone here and it's very like sheen. It's very like, it's very pleasant, right? But the there's like more done with less strokes, if that makes sense. But mm -hmm. what really took me in this one was his layouts and his his storytelling. And this one was fantastic. Like little things like when they're going up the elevator and there's the arrow pointing up. And then when they go mm -hmm. down and the perspective on it, right? That's not something we see a lot in some of the books leading up to it. He's actually stretching some muscles. <clears throat> and it's hard for a lot of people to pick up on that because it's such a simple cartoony style. But when you look at those nuances, that's really incredible. When Lisa gets up and goes to the bathroom and, and the way, like before that, you see somebody else move and it's a straight line that's mm -hmm. following them, right? When she does it, it's a little squiggly and we all know what that means. Mm -hmm. <laughs> You're at a bar at night, someone gets up and they're making their way to the bathroom like that. They're either emotional distraught or they're about to get rid of all their Stellas. You know oh, yes. <laughs> so, I think there's a lot of technical skill that he had developed over the previous three books that come into play here and- it seems simpler, and it, but at the same time, to me, it's more sophisticated in the way it's telling the story visually, as mm -hmm. well as the boldness of less lines to convey more, if that makes sense. Definitely. What about Jasmine? What were your thoughts? Yeah, I did uh, the directionals that you mentioned. Like there was also when Mr. Chow was sneaking around, there were like these little exclamation points and arrows and like question marks, but they were all pointed at where he was supposed to be in mm -hmm. the background of the scene. Um, and I thought that those kinds of directionals hanging out just within the panels was really cool. Yeah. Um, and not to, I mean, the coloring, obviously, I just, it's so bright and vibrant. Um, so I really, really enjoyed the coloring in this one. Um, but I did, I did like the way that he kind of did the panels and we might talk about it later, but like, especially the dream sequences, 
I really liked the way that those were laid out because it just kind of like, at first it's like just blank. And then it's like the one tiny panel and all of this black space. And it was just kind of like, oh, I see. This is this is a really neat way to kind of pull you immediately into a totally different sequence than where you just were. Um, yeah. So I, I did, I, I can tell from volume one to this point, like the storytelling with the actual images has gotten better than just, I'm drawing a guy and he's drinking a beer and things like that. Yeah. And it's very manga influenced, especially in the first two volumes. But like here, it's starting to kind of he's developing his own style, which still has a manga influence with the pacing, but not necessarily with the breakdowns and the layouts mm -hmm. and the storytelling techniques. Like when you can have a moment that makes me laugh out loud in a comic book every time I read it, it's the moment when I think it's when he realizes that the current ex is also a woman mm -hmm. and it's like his brain breaks open and a little bird. Oh, I love that. Like oh, yeah. that. And then the same thing happens to knives father. Yes. <laughs> right? Like I love that. It's so funny. And visually it's, it's hitting that cue and it, it causes that, that, that guttural laughter reaction. Mm -hmm. uh, that point that you just said about his brain breaking in two and the bird coming out and, and you can see the storytelling, like as in the writing and the artwork linking together. And I honestly had such a Joey Friends moment. I was like, Scott Pilgrim reminds me so much of Joey at this point where, you know, there were so many, like obviously in Friends, where there's so many jokes where Joey would be like sitting there, sitting there, sitting there, and like everyone's waiting. And I think Chandler even at one point says, come on, man, catch up. Like, and I just, like, Scott's exactly like this guy. He's like so naive. But anyway, the artwork does such a good job of showing his naivety in, mm -hmm. in regards to uh, actually suddenly like at the moment, like the moment click in his brain. You know, I love that at that point in the artwork. And um, what you said, Jasmine, a minute ago about Mr. Mr. Um, uh, was it Knives' father, uh, all the arrows and stuff. And mm -hmm. I thought this is actually good that they're using the artwork to actually a good st strong storytelling effect here, like foreboding and, and lining up um, a future event that's going to happen in the book. And I know I make this joke a lot about Wonder Woman 1984, about how suddenly she can turn something invisible and there'd, there'd been no reference to that previously. And I, I think because of that terrible storytelling, it now makes me pick up on how well when other people do it mm -hmm. and seeing that the was already, there were several, several teasers before the eventual lining up of having him in the book. And I love the fact that we have the visual storytelling within it. And I think that comes down to his confidence as an artist to, to start doing those things. For me, though, one of the things I loved particularly was the different styles that he incorporated. <clears throat> Sorry, my voice going there. Um, I love the dream anime sequences that, that take on a very fantasy-esque style. And I would love to see, I've never read anything else by by him, but I would I would love to see what other artwork he has out there. I know he's done things like Snot Girl and um, stuff, but I've never read anything. But I imagine he would be a really good fantasy storyteller as well. But one of the, the other thing I wanted to shout out was he becomes a lot more confident with much more incorporating gameplay Um into his book so it was very subtle in volume one he really held back the gameplay in it but things so one of my favorite moments made me laugh out loud was when he goes to the toilet and we see the the p bar above his head go from full to small and i was dying i was just like i was like it's such an unnecessary thing to put in there like that no no one really cares that he's or his thirst level like, versus yeah, his cash the level. thirst versus cash yeah, yeah. yeah. 
And I, but I just that toilet moment, I was like, most people would leave that out of a comic, but actually, it was done for humor, and I, I just thought that was just it was great. But no, I, I I really embrace the style of it. I think he he's just got he's it's very similar to what he's done already, but I do think there's a lot more confidence shown in this. But and and as Jasmine said, the colors. I, I do prefer the color edition. I'm not gonna lie, and I think the color colors has done really well. But there's actually something else I want to shout out was the the use of lettering within within actually the sorry. I know this is the where obviously it emphasizes what's going on the sound effects. And I know that's done in much more campier comic books than I know. Occasional superhero ones still have it. But they use it so much more in these books to really illustrate what's going on. I think there's a scene where Scott's putting the phone down and it just says the word slap. So to obviously to, you know, to drive home to us that actually he's just whacked that phone down. I, was like, I don't know. I, I like those those moments with the lettering as well across the, across the page. So. Yeah, the lettering's really nice in this book. I was trying to figure out if Brian did it himself. And and I think he did initially because this, this edition says clean up and lettering remastered by Troy Look. So it looks like it was like redone a little bit. I, I'm curious now to grab one of the original black and white ones to see. See what the differences and, are? <clears throat> yeah, what the differences are. And the lettering is fantastic. There's even those bits that if you notice where I guess it's showing him kind of disassociating himself from the conversation a little bit or mm -hmm. showing him like not caring, but you see the lettering get pixelated in certain yes. moments and stuff like that. And like all of the all of the like the sound effects and, and stuff like that, like the ring that you just showed where like mm -hmm. where it trailed off like that. Like that's just that's really clever stuff that most people don't notice. So I'm really proud of you, Mark, for shouting out the lettering in the book. Because I didn't notice. So <laughs> <laughs> I really like the uh, way they did the titles, like for the for each like chapter. How it was just like, oh, we're not starting a new page. We're not doing anything new. It's like, oh, middle of this random page. We're gonna go ahead and go on to the next chapter. Uh so I really liked that part of the lettering. <laughs> if that counts as lettering. <laughs> <laughs> it does um, lettering design's all part of it right yeah, yeah well definitely done. yeah no definitely I, I i really liked it i i know i shout out those key bits but there's just so many things that they they do like uh honestly that just even the normal text <laughs> oh oh that was it sorry this is the bit i love the most like the lettering wise where he's running to ramona with the arrow and then underneath it's like the opposite direction <laughs> yeah so, he's like running the like, wrong way yes. yeah but i, lo I love how it's it, yeah, they incorporate that within that arrow. It's a real clever thing they did in terms of the the wording and the lettering, and, and yeah. So whether it's speech bubbles or actual illustrated te uh, text, but yeah, no, I thought it was great. So um, right, there's something I wanted to talk about was what are our thoughts now? This book's got a bit deeper into embracing its fantasy game world, and just what are our thoughts on these dream sequences and subspace and and uh, and the bit that was just the more ludicrous was scott getting in ramona's bag and his head sticking out of the bag <laughs> so i she was like just get in the bag from that scene though the one thing i particularly loved was that ramona got her own part to shine where she had the baseball bat and it wasn't just scott getting all the fighting i, I yeah. loved the i know i know ramona did have a fight sequence previously but i love the fact that ramona does still get to you know, not be just Scott's girlfriend. So, um, yeah, Robbie, what do you think about these dream sequences and just embracing this whole thing? I, I love it. You know, like in, in some of these dream sequences, yeah, I guess we're dealing with like Scott's inner child, you know, lost in that forest or whatever. Mm -hmm. and, and they kind of, he looks kind of like chibi Scott, you know what I'm saying? And like, he's like shrunk down, big head, tiny. And 
in order in this style to be able to do that, like actually works because to most people, like the chibi style would be the style of the book itself. And you're able to get that. I love the subspace bits. I love when him and the one chick like accidentally fall through it. So mm -hmm. it sets up when him and Ramona are on the run. He's like, oh, there's one over here. There's a subspace, you know, thing over here. And they go through it. And I think it's absolutely amazing. I like those dream sequences. Uh, I love that Ramona gets some time to shine here, too. And I also love that we're dealing with her insecurities about Scott's past in this book. Because it's not just about Scott dealing mm -hmm. with her exes. Now she's dealing with like, oh, so it's worse to her that Lisa is not an ex to him because they never actually got to fulfill their attraction, which is obvious in the book, right? So hmm. I, I love all of that stuff, man. The that And when he gets the sword at the end, and I love how Ramona mentions that, well, you don't have the sword yet. What do you mean yet? And then all those references to, you know, what like the meta nature of it. When someone's like, you know, we haven't even done a show since book three, mm -hmm. you know, <laughs> and stuff like that. And yeah, you haven't had the <clears throat> sword yet. And then he gets it, and it's a really powerful moment. And it's total video gaming. And you're right there. He's leaning heavier into it. He's going to continue to do that um, as this book just gets more and more wild. And I love that all the wild stuff is treated so as mundane as going to get coffee. Another one of my favorite bits that just popped in my mind because I said that was when he goes to the coffee shop and then realizes for the first time that not every coffee shop is the same because he goes into <laughs> a different one. That he yeah. thinks oh, yeah. Works at. Yeah. <clears throat> Just because it's the same on the exterior doesn't mean it's the same inside. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it's quite slow to catch up. Yes, sometimes. most definitely. Uh, <laughs> the, Joey, um, the Joey reference is spot on, Mark. Like, you're 100% yeah. right. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I honestly did think of Joey when he was like, X, X. And then suddenly yeah, the brain just pops open. I was just like, this honestly, I know I've not seen the anime show yet, which I'm holding off until, I don't know, obviously, I would like to finish volume six before I go and watch that because I'm, I'm not too sure how much of the anime covers all of the volumes so um anyway, jasmine what do you think about the dream sequences and just just how crazy it is that they like as probably said the mundane it's quite mundane but how they incorporate it into the book yeah no i really loved the whole like head to bag thing like that was just so ridiculous and so funny because like they're beating the crap out of each other uh roxy has the sword and and uh <laughs> ramona has this like specialized bat or something and then it's just like scott is like egging her on like yeah yeah but he's like a head in a bag on her arm and it's just like and this has to be the most ridiculous sequence in this book right like this is just so absurd but the it owner was of that coffee show the owner of that restaurant agrees with you because she's like okay you're totally fired yeah for real. <laughs> like <laughs> But it was just one of those things where, like like you said earlier, Robbie, it's like that laugh out loud kind of stuff. Like there are so many times where you're reading something and it's like, I can see that that's funny, but like it doesn't actually make you laugh out loud when you're reading it. But there were definitely mm -hmm. several laugh out loud moments in this. And Scott's head in a bag was up there, like with some of the funniest, like, what the hell am I reading kind of things. I, th <clears throat> I think these things now I've become, I've fully embraced. It's just part of the whole spot, mm -hmm. Scott Pilgrim world. Uh, and obviously, clearly, if subspace, if I could walk through a door and go through subspace, that would be phenomenal for all of us. Which it would be oh, yeah. completely life changing and newsworthy. And I'd have, to be honest with you, I'd probably get locked up and not be able to even tell anyone. But <laughs> I would definitely be silenced. I'd be like, there's a, a door in my house that led to some sort of subspace doorway, and I could walk out and end up in Florida or something. 
no one would know about that. That wouldn't be publicized. But yeah, yeah. in this Scott Pilgrim world, it's just completely normal. And, and it, it just sometimes makes me think, is this like a video game? And we get to see between the fight scenes what they do with their normal lives. Mm-hmm. Um, what's that film? Um, the uh, the Smash, uh, Wreck-It Ralph. Uh, it, it kind of made me think a little bit like that between Wreck-It Ralph's built a smash in his building down all those fight sequences is it just an arcade machine and we just get to see what scott's up to between scott having to to fight exes i don't know maybe it's just a random interesting i never thought of it that way so i I, it just it was a random thought that i had as i was watching this thinking it's just just i get to see what what an arcade machine character's like between the battles that someone's having on a joystick somewhere i don't know um I don't know. Hmm. Could be I wrong. Mean, I think that's a really good observation, man. Especially because in this book, he's like he's gaining XP, like yeah. with the little mm-hmm. things that he's doing and and stuff like that. And it's it's like it was like it would be like I guess considered a very boring video game to some kids, I guess today. But like I mean, that is what it is. It's a video game, right? And yeah. we're getting to see everything in between. And that's why this world is is the way it is, and why it's just so ridiculous. And I love it so much. It's got a charm to it. That uh, a lot of people <clears throat> wouldn't be able to pull off, like Brian Lee O'Malley does. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, this is a completely unique <clears throat> book. Nobody would be able to duplicate this without us knowing that they were just ripping off Scott Pilgrim. It, it's a very what what Brian Lee O'Malley's done is a very unique take on actually what's quite a normal story to show. Mm-hmm. Essentially, it's just someone's you know, coming of age story, isn't it? But actually. <laughs> told through the medium of comic books with a manga style incorporating video games it's a it's a crazy thought to be honest like, but you know what it- i wonder though i wonder if like the generations that are younger than us feel the same way about this book that we do because we're all close in age to brian the o'malley and mm-hmm. like we all had those kind of similar experiences that he's writing about but people that are 20 years younger than us are they reading scott pilgrim and thinking like are they feeling the same things that you know what i mean like what what do the younger people think? Because that's not the way that they grew up, but it's definitely the way that all of us grew up. So I'll tell you yeah. this. Um, yeah. One of the dudes that you can see on Rock and Robbie Live, uh, they called him Faux Robbie until he got properly introduced. He's real David now. But he's the <laughs> one that pops in and says, welcome to Pop Culture Philosophers. I'm Rock and Robbie Live. He's a 20-year-old who works at my comic shop. Mm-hmm. Scott Pilgrim's oh, yeah. his favorite thing ever. Really? Okay. And loves Scott Pilgrim. Yeah. Though I do think a lot of people, because he's even said, he goes, they do use the R word too much. I'm like, yeah, it was the 2000s. We we were still using that, unfortunately. Yeah, we, we, we she, were just as dumb that, as the rest of the characters. And why they call that girl chunky? What's wrong with that? I'm like, ain't nothing wrong with that. Ain't yeah. nothing wrong with that. It's just, you know. Um, I, I actually have changed what the next question was going to be because I thought we didn't really talk about it. But um there's a lot of sub characters in this outside of Ramona and Scott, who we talked about a lot earlier on. And the main two sort of characters for me are quite relevant to drive forward the main characters. And that's, that's Lisa and Roxy. And before we kick this off, actually, uh, I'd forgotten something that happened between Roxy and Ramona. And so actually Roxy and Lisa both play quite vital parts to drive forward Ramona and Scott's relationship in, in realization to, actually the love they have for each other and um yeah before i give any commentary what there's a lot of characters in this book robbie but have you got any thoughts particularly on what these two main characters do to drive this book forward oh they're very important because you know roxy represents 
not, you know, Scott's already been dealing with the evil exes. So he's mm -hmm. already like trying, you know, he's, he's gaining confidence. He's defeating her evil exes. But one of the things, and it's very subtle. I mean, it's not subtle. It's so not subtle, but it's like, it's throughout the, the first half of this film before that revelation where he sees knives and Kim making out or something <laughs> like that. Right. Yeah. And then he's like the L word and he goes, what lesbian? Like it's like already in his head. And it, it made me think of chasing Amy. Right. Like when Holden's care, like when Ben Affleck's character Holden finds out about Joey Lauren Adams characters about her past. And he's like, you you were too wild. You went through a sexy phase and all this kind of stuff. Right. Um, so Roxy's representing that. We're like, oh, man, like you were more wild than I thought. I'm starting to get a little a little nervous about this again. Meanwhile, at the same time, you got Lisa who's representing unrequited love. And that's something that Ramona's picking up on. She sees the way that Lisa is dressing mm -hmm. for Scott. She sees the attention that she's getting from Scott. She sees Scott's nervousness around her and is showing her insecurities. So these two characters are vitally important to, to building this relationship forward and progressing it to the point where it is at the end of the book where they're moving together, which is going to cause its own problems in the next volume, right? Mm -hmm. um, but they're vitally important Another thing is there were so many characters in this one that at times I was like, have we been introduced to this character? Like that one dude's girlfriend who's like a complete dick. You know Dooley. what I'm saying? Like, yeah. Like yeah. I could not for the life of me. I was like, did we meet her in the last volume? Like I don't remember disliking a character this much in the previous volumes. Yeah. And I'm, I don't remember what happens, but I got the feeling that her dude and knives are starting to like vibe on each other mm -hmm. right towards the end of this book. Um, and then I think Wallace got a lot of spotlight in this one too. I really, really yeah. liked Wallace in this book. Yeah, hundred um, percent. Yeah, I was going to come to Wallace in a second, but um, what about you, Jasmine? I liked the sort of dynamic between like Lisa and Scott, and then Roxy and uh, Ramona. I just it was nice to have something else um, in the mix because in, in before it was just kind of like. Scott, you're so stupid, like you're getting in your own way. And now it was kind of like, well, now you have other people that are actually in the mix that you're going to have to navigate through these other people in addition to your own idiotic self. Mm -hmm. um, so it just added another la layer to me. And it made the story just a little bit more interesting because it, it to me, just to me reading it, like, I'm like, okay, I'm so sick of Scott's bullshit like where i get it you're dumb you, you can't help it like okay but like at some point it's like at some point you have to do better and i think this was finally the book where he he also realized that for himself where he started to do better and he started to want more for himself um so i think he wouldn't have gotten to that point if he didn't have these other obstacles in the way like if it was just him and ramona trying to figure it out i don't think we would have gotten any kind of resolution like what we did at the end of this book mm -hmm. Yeah, no, I, I can see the similarities between having Lisa and Roxy sort of pivot around them and actually did make Ramona quite uncomfortable uh, and show her own insecurities because she was always this strong, mysterious character. And then Lisa coming in was quite unexpected. And, and obviously she had a connection from with Scott and, and Kim uh, from their previous school, which, again, threw a change up. And initially I was a bit unsure about Lisa because I thought, I'll be honest, I did think, she she knows Scott's got a girlfriend, but then actually Jasmine reminded me before we started recording because I had forgotten about Ramona's comment about Roxy. Well, we only made out a few times, and I was like, well, actually, 
yeah, I know they're both in the wrong, really, but I was quite proud that Scott did stand his ground and didn't give in, and and it was that sort of pivotal moment on the sofa that made him realise actually when he got pizza lovely. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, pizza yeah. drunk. Yeah, <laughs> and, uh, he's like, I don't remember any of last night. She's like, well, you did eat too much pizza. I was like, what the hell? <laughs> okay, um, but anyway, but no, but that it was quite a key moment, and like you just said, you said earlier, Robbie, how how he falls into these moments and he, mm-hmm. he kind of fell into that Lisa moment and Lisa's basically offering herself to him you know I've been dressing like this for you you know etc and that whole thing of he could have just gone with it most stupid early 20 year olds might have just fallen for that but actually no he was like no no actually I've realized I love Ramona mm-hmm. uh how key that 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 build up was to that and um uh, and we've got obviously Roxy in the background trying to essentially lure, lure Ramona away. Uh, and there's obviously that huge confrontation between them all, which obviously leads to, to the X event. But no, Wallace Wells, um, I think as well, was another character that got a lot of spotlight, including the landlord scene and, and you know, really kind of the relationship between Scott and Wallace has always been important. But to see that grow through this book and eventually and lead to its end. And it was, I was a bit sad that he said, oh, just call me sometime. I was like, oh, is that, is that it? Like, I, I don't know. It was a bit, I thought it was a bit sad. I can't remember. There wasn't mobile phones back then, or if they were, not many people had them. So it was all landlines as we saw in this book. So <laughs> I guess it is a bit like that really, isn't it? Back in the early nineties, it was there, just relying on someone calling your landline to speak to you. So Yeah. And there is that moment where Lisa asks Scott, do you have a cell phone? And he's just like, what? yeah and not everybody had cell phones back then i don't think i I, well obviously i call mobile but i I didn't get a mobile phone until 97 98 something like that so uh, 95 not everybody would have one and you couldn't do text messaging back then either which is just crazy isn't it (laughs) so i remember one of my first uh, phones and i when you had to pay per text message yes oh my goodness my first bill my mom was like all right (laughs) we're gonna have a talk yeah, definitely. I was going to say, I remember not texting anyone until like my third or fourth phone, just because that's how long it took for them to go unlimited on the text messages. Yeah. Like, do not text me. Don't and do text not call me. me unless it's after 9 p.m. 9 p.m. Oh, my God. Yes. I spent all night on the phone because it was like 901. And that was when that finger started moving, man. I'm telling you. It's weird now because everything's like unlimited. But mm-hmm. one of my friends, he got a contract years ago phone contract where it was called everyday 50 and, and they wanted to buy they actually started offering people to buy them out of the contracts they realized and everyday 50 was that you were given 50 minutes a day for free or part of your contract and you could ring somebody for free 50 minutes a day it wasn't one person but you had 50 minutes a day and he even got them calling him up saying like we want to buy you out of the contract that you're in and because uh, he he kept it for years he's like no no this this before things went unlimited he's like no no, no i don't want to get out of this he's like this is a great contract he's like 50 minutes a day forever like i i i don't spend any more than like my 30 quid a month it's great <laughs> so um but yeah it's weird now to think that everything is unlimited so right um i don't say right okay thoughts on actually this storytelling and i I think we've kind of covered it but just in case we have if there's anything we wanted to pop up do we think this story has aged well robbie do you want to go first um yeah i i I do think it's aged well i definitely think it's aged with us right so it's like something that like because this was coming out initially when i was in my 20s right like and so it 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 hits that tinge of nostalgia for me um there are some things in there 
like that could be viewed as problematic or inappropriate today. But mm -hmm. I understand the context of it. Like, for instance, one of the things that struck out to stood out to me was the fact of the bisexual phase, mm -hmm. right? And I really hate and detest the idea that bisexuality is a phase and not who you are if you're mm -hmm. bisexual, right? Mm -hmm. However, in the in the aughts, that was a thing going on where a lot of women were would would like play act bisexual almost as a way to like be, I don't know. It was something that maybe it had something to do with the post girls, like girls gone wild videos or something. I have no idea what it was, but there was this thing that was happening in the two thousands where a lot of women were like, I don't, I don't want to say that they were playing at being bisexual, but maybe like it was more open to experiment with it and then realize to go in and out of it. Right. But, but it to was me, like, in media a lot too. Like if you think was. about the movie, wild things, like, mm -hmm. Exactly. Yeah. It was in the media and it was something that like, I think a lot of women were like kind of pushed into a lot of dudes were into <clears> the <throat> idea. And, mm -hmm. and I don't want anybody to misconstrue me, who I am or what I think, but bisexuality is if you're bisexual, that's who you are. If you're pansexual, that's who you are. If you're homosexual, that's who you are. If you're heterosexual, that's who you are. Right. Mm -hmm. And bisexuality is a, is a weird thing because a lot of people don't get it. Right. Mm -hmm. They they just don't understand the the I guess the notions behind it or something like that. Um, but it was something I had going on when and when I was in at that age, you know, like I had a girlfriend who liked to kiss other women, shit like that, but she did it as like a shock thing, almost mm -hmm. as a way, right? Mm -hmm. And and I liked at least to me though, what it does is that is something that was going on at that time. But what I think it was was of course pressure from the media and stuff, but also I I love that it allowed more women to be open with experimenting with same sex stuff or being bisexual or being more fluid and stuff like that. Right. So today, because we've progressed so far as like acceptance of people's sexuality goes, like it, it can seem a little odd, but that was like some of the first steps of that. Right. And even mm -hmm. as weird as it was, but I'm really not formulating these thoughts the best, I think, but <laughs> It is something that was going on at that time, but it also led to more openness about bisexuality because even today there's a lot of bi erasure going on, mm -hmm. you know, and it's, it's, there's a lot of that kind of stuff still today. And, you know, especially if you're a dude, like, you know, if you're a woman and you're bisexual, that's cool and that's hot and everything. But if you're a dude and it's bisexual, a lot of people are like, Oh, that's, that's weird. Mm -hmm. Even women, you know, will feel that way. So, but I mean, that's one thing that I think, I do think the story aged well because I understand the context of where it's placed. Now, I totally understand, though, if somebody's reading it today, they might have a problem with that. Like the, fi mm -hmm. the fact that she, she references her bisexuality as a phase, right? But also there's shame dealing with that, right? Mm -hmm. um, and, and also like the fact that they, they refer to the one chick as the chunky chick, right? right. And then like other things like the, the use of the, the R word and stuff like that, which we've kind of moved beyond. And I think for the better. But I do think that the story and those characters and what they're going through are still very similar to what people at that age go through today in a way. Yeah. Well, what about you, Jasmine? I, um, one of the things that I have appreciated about this series is like the immigrant perspective that is in here that is told through basically through knives and her family. 
And my favorite line in the entire story was after her dad fights Scott Pilgrim and then realizes like, oh, this guy's not so bad. And then he goes back to Knives and he's like, you know, that Scott Pilgrim kid, he's not so bad. Maybe it wouldn't be so bad if you dated a white guy. Uh, I laughed so hard because I can guarantee you there is not a child of immigrant parents that did not hear that line at some point going to high school when they brought home like their first white friend. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like, I love that through line that has been happening ever since the first volume where it's always like that one little like zinger that he manages to throw in there. Um, So I think a lot of kind of like what Robbie said, like a lot of this stuff was a thing of the 90s. But at the same time, it, it still carries true to me, like a lot of the stuff that is happening is still very much happening. Like, I, I don't think that it has strayed too far from the kind of stuff that young idiots do these days. You know what I mean? I just think that there is more of a media presence now because everybody does have smartphones. And I think the having the smartphone completely changes the dynamic of a lot of things. So the fact that these books don't rely on that part at all, um, I think is going to be what keeps them sort of classic, so to speak. Like, mm-hmm. I think they're always going to not necessarily be timeless, but I think that because we don't have cell phones at all, like, I think that's going to kind of help keep them in line. Mm. I guess. Yeah. One of the things you just said about the, you know, when I was early twenties and I think I was about 21 or two, um, I had a female friend who was Asian and one of my friends said to him, we used to flirt a lot. And I think we both, it was a bit like that. It was the thing that didn't happen. Like we used to, there was interest on both parties, but nothing happened between me and her. And um, uh, one of my friends said to her, would you ever take Mark home? And she said, no, I couldn't because he's white. And, um, and so, yeah, like I heard that, that line. Like, and, um, and, and so to be honest, the moment I heard that, actually, I was like, okay, I'm not going to, take this forward like, i'm not going to carry on chasing because clearly there's a much bigger problem <laughs> if we start it would just, you know so and obviously i was like 22 and probably not particularly interested in complicated stuff so um but no i i do agree with you there was things that was said in this book that you can imagine like would be quite problematic in in stuff now i know um I had this conversation a lot with my older daughter who's almost 14 and things that she goes going through school now and the things that they have to do in schools or just uh, yes obviously I, I have to be always careful what I say on a recorded thing but the kind of conversations that are much are much different to conversations we had at school so I, I I think there's some good context in here I think it's aged well with us I think it, I think the some of the commentary in here is very much linked with people of our age mm-hmm. uh i can imagine there's probably some people that would pick this up who would be quite offended by things that are in this book uh those people probably should get a sense of humor uh, so uh that's probably all i'm gonna say on it i probably have other views as well but i won't share them so anyway uh in this video uh sorry in this book uh it's very similar to a video game. And obviously as video games and levels increase, normally the, the bad guys that they battle tend to, to get stronger and harder. Personal thoughts on this is that, that the, the villain of this book was 
was average. And I think that's why we had um, Knives' dad as well as a semi-villain. <laughs> but just, like I say, normally, you know, things like, I always remember things like Streets of Rage, where every every level got harder, um, you know, a bigger battle at the end. But just what are your thoughts on the villains of this book? And if you relate to like a video game context, Robbie, what are your thoughts? Um, I, I like it because you, you basically, I guess the villain is Roxy, but for the most part, the, the villain is, is Scott's inability to move forward. And right. Mm-hmm. And that's really what he's confronting. He's not getting extra EXP or EXP. He's not getting extra XP and health and all that kind of stuff when he defeats her necessarily, but when he like steps up, mm-hmm. he takes responsibility, right? This is about the video game of life. And maybe we should gamify life a little bit more, right? Like maybe that would help people get through life. Like if you thought of it like a video game, like I want to level up. When you read a new book, you've taken on another point of view in your head. You've adapted that, made it a part of you. You level up. When you meet a new person and you connect with them and you develop a relationship, whether it's sexual, romantic, or or platonic, you level up. You become a bigger, more expansive person the more experience that you get. And that's what's happening. And that's why to me, it seems like, especially at the point where he finally confronts the ex, because he doesn't want to confront this ex, because this is the only one that he's actively like running away from. Mm-hmm. And he uses the excuse, I don't want to hit a girl. I don't want to fight a girl and stuff like that. But no, it's because he's terrified of that past experience of mm-hmm. Ramona's. He's terrified that Ramona has more sexy experience than he does, right? Mm-hmm. And when he finally accepts who he is and his feelings for Ramona, Roxy's easy. He just cuts right through her, right? And then I love the fake out of of, of Mr. Chow. Like, I think that's a really great bit to kind of throw in there. So it's not quite like it has been in some of the other volumes where mm-hmm. the villain is like such a representation of what is going on. Because in this one, to me, it's a little bit more subtle about what Scott's overcoming and why he can so easily dispatch of this villain, this ex in this book. Mm-hmm. Well, you, you doesn't. Yeah, I think, I think there is a lot more subtlety in, in this volume. And when you just kind of are reading surface level, it doesn't have the same impact video game wise. Like there's no coins, there's no uh, loot drops. There's no, you know, there's no, none of that stuff, but it's a lot of the mundane stuff. Like, the cash versus the thirst and him, you know, leveling up every time he has like a really good conversation or something like that. So it's like, if this was a game and all six volumes are like one game, this is that phase of the game where you have to just spend hours collecting stuff. Like I have to go Mm -hmm. collect herbs. I have to go collect gemstones. I have to go collect animal furs, you know, all of this stuff where it's just like, you're collecting, you're not actually playing the game. You're not actually progressing in the game. You're just building your inventory, essentially. Um, so I would say if if we're comparing this to a video game, this volume is you building your inventory. Like mm-hmm. you're you're rebuilding all of your own resources before you actually get back into the game. Yeah, I like I that, Jasmine, yeah. because the inventory he's building is confidence. Right. Mm-hmm. The inventory that he's building is selflessness. The inventory that he's building is love and mm-hmm. care. And like even the stuff with him and Wallace, like... Yeah. Like they, their relationship seems to have a different dynamic. He takes on another appreciation for Wallace in this one, mm-hmm. which I really thought was strong. I also love the bit too, where Wallace has been dating this dude for three books that nobody's known about. Yeah. <laughs> You've been dating this guy since volume one. Nobody's yeah. known. Yeah. <laughs> 
Um, and the guy's name is Mobile? Mobile? Like, yeah. I, I, kept, I kept thinking they were talking about Alabama. I was like, is this <laughs> is this Lisa girl moving to Alabama? Is that what's happening? Like, it, I was so confused. I had to go back and read that so many times before yeah. I realized, like, that's the guy's name? Yeah. You just oh, want to be no, like, that's a- I just want to be like, sweetie, you ain't going to become a star in Mobile, Alabama. Trust yeah, me. for real. <laughs> Honestly, when they... Oh, oh um... When they said mobile several times, I'm really I, the reason it confused me. I got it at the end. I realized what he meant in the end. I thought he meant like a mobile caravan. Uh, you guys call them something else, don't you? Um, like an RV, like, like a trailer, yeah, you call, yeah, yeah, yeah. You call them trailers or RVs, so, but oh, we call them like mobile caravan, like caravan. So, you obviously, caravans can have static ones like my parents have got, or a mobile one which you just tie on the back of the car. Um, I thought he was talking about a mobile caravan initially. I thought he's moving him to a mobile. That's what mo- I thought too, mo- bro. Mobile caravan. Like I thought, oh, okay. Like, and then, and then I got it in the end. I was like, oh, mobile's the name of someone. I was just like, oh, okay. yeah. You talk yeah. about weird names. Like that one definitely was just like, I am not. If this is a joke, I don't get the joke. And then it took the very end where I was like, oh, his name. Well, and Scott's okay. more familiar with him than we are because I think that's the uh, the penis that Scott walked in. Oh, on. Yeah, yes, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah, he said I'll never erase that from my mind. But, yeah, um, no. So I, I'm actually can see what you're saying, Jasmine. Um, actually, when I was reading this, the villains were real, real, mm-hmm. not as important to actually the character arcs that were in this book, and I think that's why they weren't the the hard bosses that we've seen previously progressing mm-hmm. uh however it, it was uh, yeah i could see what you mean about gathering your inventory at the moment i'm playing the last of us part two so every now and again i enter a, a huge area where i can go around and go through different buildings and mm-hmm. grab pills or first aid or right it's all stuff and, that you need like that. and you have yeah. to do it at some point otherwise you can't beat the next boss that comes along right so yeah, like, exactly yeah. it's a phase you have to go through but it's usually mm-hmm the boring parts of the game. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. I, I mean, I don't think that this volume is boring, but when you're comparing it to like that fight with Todd, like that was wild. That whole entire sequence was so wild. And it was just like so fun because then you like, you're hundred percent immersed in the video game element at that point. Um, and so like comparatively, like this one just does not have the kind of action that the previous books have had, mm-hmm. but it, it like thinking of it in terms of we got seven evil X's and we still got a few more to go. Then it's like, okay, like at some point you do have to refuel and, and regroup and do all of those things. Like you can't just go, go, go. So I think I wanted to Robbie, Robbie said something a minute ago, which really reminded me of something. And when you said about Scott having to face himself, obviously to <laughs> he kept putting off facing this X cause it was actually dealing with really his own insecurities and I remember, uh, I'll admit something here. I dated a girl who was probably a little bit like that, that Ramona at one point. And throughout the duration that we dated, more became revealed. And uh, and then even at one point while we were dating, she revealed her sexy face. Um, and and I was just, <laughs> I was just like, what? More, I think there was a part of me that really did feel insecure while I dated her because I just thought that she's not like I don't know. It was just all this stuff kept coming out that I didn't know about. And um, oh, by the way, no judgment or anything. It was just more like I just what's coming next, what's coming out next. And every time I'd find stuff out, I was like, I, I didn't obviously I, I enjoyed the relationship I had with her at the time, but it was 
probably a little bit like Scott Pilgrim. I started to question my own self. So um, another bit like Scott and yeah. Yeah. Now, like with all of her experience, who am I? I'm just the dude who yeah. gets drunk on too many Stellas and stands up on the bar screaming <laughs> yeah. out songs. <laughs> raging the machine. Yeah. Yeah. Actually, that was before I met her as well, actually. So, That's uh, how you met her, isn't it? <laughs> I actually did meet her very, very drunk. Drunk. Well, how we got together, I was very, very, very drunk at a house party. So, uh, do you know what, though? Actually, after that finished, one of my friends would say to me, do you think maybe you're meeting these girls at the wrong places? And I was like, yes. <laughs> Bro, I've had that conversation with many friends. Like, them talking to me. Like, man, maybe, yeah. maybe two a.m. Yeah. at the club is not the time to meet yeah. Mrs. Hey, maybe. Wright. Yeah, <laughs> but yeah, it was after that came to an end because she was probably one of the wildest people I dated. And after that came to an end, someone said, I, "Maybe you should reevaluate where you meet these girls." Uh, <laughs> they were like, they were like drunk at a house party. It was probably not. not yeah, it's not, not. It's not the move, man. It's not yeah. the move. Oh, yeah uh yeah actually i didn't realize how much i can relate to this book as we're going through it so, uh, so um anyway uh i'm gonna skip this next one because we've covered it um i'm gonna just talk about the themes so we, we've said this before the themes and we kind of just touched on this a little bit as we were going but each x is kind of like a toxic part of your own personality and uh, each fight that he's had has been fighting off a uh, you know part of his uh, become maturing and I, I think we just covered this but if there's anything you guys want to add to, to strengthen this but yeah I, I kind of felt an agreement here that this book was really the leveling up of his maturity we and, and well as it says it gets it gets it together what do you, what do you think Robbie yeah, I mean, that's exactly what it is. He he gets it together and he's able to go on because so much like the last one was the infinite sadness, right? That mm -hmm. was the last one, right? And then the titles actually mean something in all of these books, right? Yeah. And this is Scott gets it together and he does. And Roxy is a catalyst for that. Lisa is a catalyst for that. So one of the reasons why Roxy may seem so downplayed as a villain is because Lisa's kind of sharing that time almost with her. Mm -hmm. Not just the fact that she's causing Ramona to be insecure about her relationship with Scott, but it's causing Scott to kind of be tempted. But he mm -hmm. he never actually feels like, like he feels like he's being tempted, like he would love to do something, but he never actually like seems to really dwell or consider that as something that he could do. Like his relationship with Ramona is, is changing him. And as they're getting more serious, as life is getting more serious for him, as it's kind of being forced onto him, they're losing the apartment. You got this old semi flame come back. You got an old flame come back for Ramona. He's having to come to terms with himself. And I mean, we've mentioned a lot, like be less selfless, understand that he's in love with Ramona and understand that even if you can't put it into words as to why, and Ramona can't do it either. She's because mm -hmm. you're simple minded. That's not the only thing she likes about Scott. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm saying? She likes the fact that Scott is an honest, good dude. Like he is a dude that like he did, even though he had the opportunity, he didn't cheat on her. And that's mm -hmm. an easy thing to do when you're 24 late at night at somebody's, you know, apartment, a pizza drunk, drunk yeah. on pizza. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. So, so there's that. And then also just the way that he's, even though it's still awkward, the way that he like handles the knife situation still, the way he talks to her father, like he 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 is leveling up. And to me, that's the theme of this book. It is about this chapter in particular, 
this book in particular, it is about that moment when he's not no longer on the cusp of adulthood. He is uh-huh. an adult now. And he's uh-huh. starting to realize that. And Ramon is a big deal. And the danger of that, though, is that Scott needs to be and who he is and discover that not necessarily because of a partner, right? And maybe that's something that we'll see because, you know, there's still two more books to go. But uh, that's what this is. This is about stepping up and realizing not only am I an adult now, I've been an adult for like six years. And so <laughs> I really need to get my shit together. And, and this this book, the theme is getting your shit together. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so the I way agree. you do that is through acting and caring about the people you love, the people around mm-hmm. you, your community, your family. You know, so there you go. Yeah, I think it's definitely taking action. You can dream it, you can wish it, you can hope for it, but none of that matters if you don't actually take an action. And mm-hmm. so I think for both for Scott and Ramona, they had to make a decision. And I think that's what this book was. It's like, are you deciding to move forward or are you deciding to be stuck? You choose. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree with you. Like um, the villainry part was was secondary, but this overall story just agreeing like um saying goodbye it was kind of to me felt a bit like putting away some of the childish mm-hmm. parts of his life uh and whilst i think he fell into a lot of these things the, the, those the things did push him forward and actually i know i made that joke earlier about my the wild ramona that i dated when that finished i actually thought don't you know what? i'm done with this and um whilst i, I probably equally fell into all of those things and I was like, but no, I'm done with this. I'm not now meeting girls at, like you say, 2 a.m. or whatever. I'm actually now just going to concentrate on my career. And the next person I date actually was my the person who became my wife. So nice. I was like, I'm done with actually meeting these crazy women. I'm <laughs> these crazy women can wait. At, so. at bars, singing right, right yeah, against the machine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I thought I'm done with all that. I'm, I'm going to actually be a bit more serious about people that I meet. So, um, right, okay. We're going to start bringing this review to a close, but I asked this question the last two reviews. So the books are set around the mid-90s. When we discussed Volume 2, I asked you what your favourite 90s band was. Volume 3, I asked you what your favourite 90s movies were. But for this one, I'm going to ask you what your favourite, and I think it's actually a good link because this this book definitely embraced video gaming a lot more, what your favourite 90s video games were. So you don't have to have a favourite one, just favorite couple and i know robbie you're not so much of a modern game player but i do know you had a, a consoles in the in the 90s do you know is there any so in case you can't remember i have got a list of a bunch of games so things like from the <laughs> 90s were things like mario 64 uh, which came out in 1996 it was doom in 93 street fighter 2 was 91 metal gear solid was 98 so it was obviously in the playstation uh golden eye 007 was a huge hit um First Tomb Raider came out, Sonic the Hedgehog came out in 991, and then obviously so on and so on. Um, I don't know if you remember this, but there was Mist in 993. And, um, but yeah, they just thought, oh, Crash Bandicoot came out in 996. Uh, so yeah, those kind of games were in the 90s. But yeah, Robbie, is there any games that stand out for you from the 90s? Oh, absolutely. Uh, that's the 80s and the 90s. Those are my video game years right there, right? Mm-hmm. And so in the 90s, my favorite video game was Super Mario World. Yes. Right, oh, they yeah. debuted with yeah. Super Nintendo. Mm-hmm. I loved it. Um, I also loved um, Donkey Kong on the Game Boy. Oh yeah, uh, me Donkey too. Kong on the Game Boy had the initial four levels, but then it like had like it was like ninety nine levels total, 
And that was one of my favorite things to play on the Game Boy. Um, what else? Uh, I loved GoldenEye. I had so many nights where me and my mm -hmm. homies would get together, bring over the extra controllers, plug them all up into the N64 and just play GoldenEye. So GoldenEye was a big one that I loved in the 90s as well. Um, but Super Mario World to me is one of the, to me, it's the second greatest video game of all time, right behind Mario 3, which released in 89. That's my favorite video game of the 80s. Um, my favorite video games, period, are Super Mario World and Super Mario Brothers 3. I think they're amazing. And I was a huge fan in the 90s of the Street Fighter 2 stuff and Mortal Kombat. And in particular, Mortal Kombat 3 Ultimate Edition. Uh, that's oh, wow. the goat right there for me as far as fighting games and Mortal Kombat. But Street Fighter 2, uh, the new challengers. Come on. Come on. That's That's my jam right there, man. What about you, Jasmine? You took my games. Robbie, you took my games. So the only console <laughs> I had back then was a Super NES. And the very first game I played on Super NES was Super Mario World, which I liked so much better than the other Mario games, mainly because it was redesigned. It had the new graphics. Everything was more bright, more colorful. It wasn't, it just, to me, it was so much more updated than the original Mario games. Uh, so Super Mario World, I loved. And Mortal Kombat, loved. I always played a scorpion, except I could never beat the game, the scorpion. The only person I could beat the game as was Sonya, and I hated playing Sonya. Um, and then We're very Street similar because <laughs> I loved playing Reptile, but I could only beat that game with Liu Kang, and I hated it because he was just so vanilla to me as a yeah. character. Right? <laughs> I felt the same way about Sonya. I was like, I hate that I have to win the game with this bitch. This makes me mad. <laughs> and then Street uh -huh. Fighter, like Street Fighter 2. Oh my God. I love me and my cousins. Like, we would spend hours hours playing street fighter 2 uh, i i used to be quite frustrated with street fighter 2 because that was a super nintendo game wasn't it mm -hmm. it wasn't um so in our household we had the mega drive that was the first console i ever had and then i got after that the dreamcast and then the playstation so i skipped out on nintendo so i could only ever play a lot of those games that you referred to i could only ever play them around friends houses uh, although I did have a Game Boy, so I had um, Super Mario and Do the Donkey Kong game that you're referring to. But so I, I think some of my favorite games, Sonic the Hedgehog 1 and 2, and the Sonic and Knuckles on the Mega Drive, I, I was a huge addict to those. Um, I mentioned Myst earlier. Whilst it wasn't my favorite game, it was my dad's favorite game. So he used to always play. He was a PC. He used to play on the PC, and I used to see him playing it. So I have like quite fond memories of my dad playing it. And I, I used to play it a little bit, but it, it's too too slow for me to, to really get into but I, um, I think if I'm honest things like Tomb Raider and Metal Gear Solid as the gameplay changed on the Dreamcast the Sonic Adventure that came out I think it was a release date game and um, I love that as well so I was a huge Sonic the Hedgehog fan uh, for me. I know and, that uh, in the States I don't know how it was in the UK but Super or Street Fighter 2 was released on the Mega Drive. We called it the Genesis here, right? Oh, yeah. But yeah. It was, but I remember hating it because the Genesis controller had three buttons. Street mm -hmm. Fighter has six. So when you played it on the Genesis here, if you didn't have a six-button controller, which you could get, and it was awesome. It was actually better on this Genesis slash Mega Drive. But um, if you only had that three-button controller, you had to hit, like, select to change the buttons from punch to kick, and I could never get my head around that I, at all. I could never handle that. Ever. Maybe they maybe they did release it in the end, but I don't remember. Uh, uh, I, I I never completed it, but I did buy Final Fantasy VII as well. Um, 
and then I was like, no, oh, that was my first and only RPG game. I was like, no, this is not for me. Like, so, oh, RPGs. Uh, those, those are my favorite, like now games. I love RPGs. Yeah. No, back then, back then was it was all fighters. Familiar. I loved fighter games. If it wasn't a fighter, I wasn't interested. I think back then I was much, I liked things like Sonic in the early nineties. I loved the platform scrollers and that kind of stuff. But as, as, as time's gone on, I'm, realize my my love is for things like tomb raider and metal gear solid i love storytelling games i'm also really big into racing games and so my favorite arcade game throughout the 90s was cruising usa yes which eventually led to cruising world and then my favorite of the trilogy i don't know if they did more but cruising exotica those were absolutely fantastic games and i killed it i owned those games like you went to my movie theater in the 90s my name was like in the top 10 on all those <laughs> I don't know that game. Oh my God. Cruising USA was the best. The be- Other than DDR, Cruising USA was the best arcade game to me. Like if I ever went somewhere and they had that, I was either playing that or I was either like running out of breath, do a dance dance revolution. Nice. Oh, so I wanted to shout out as well. There's the street, Streets of Rage games. Um, Streets of Rage 2 and 3. Um, I loved those games. I thought they were amazing. Uh, but one of my favorite games, which sorry, I completely forgot to shout out, was Streets uh, was Resident Evil Two. So I didn't really okay. like the first Resident Evil; that wasn't really for me. It was it was too slow. And but Resident Evil Two, I I Is two the one that had Nemesis in it. Uh, no, that's three. Oh, that's three. Okay. Yeah. No, um, I, I also uh, another one I forgot about was uh, um, Donkey Kong sixty four. I loved and Tony Hawk's Pro Skateboarder or whatever oh, the Tony yeah, Hawk yeah. game. Man, that was life changing. I didn't really play the Tony Hawk games. I didn't really, I'll be honest, I'm not really a sports game person. I don't know. Uh, it's really, which is really weird because my two girls love playing FIFA. They're, just, they're addicted to it. They keep saying, can you play FIFA with us? I'm like, you'll beat me. Well, <laughs> if you ever get a hold of it in 64, get Wayne Gretzky's yeah. 3D hockey. It's the greatest thing. You can even fight in it and it like goes to like a side scroll screen where you're like yeah. fighting each other, get a health bar. It turns into like Street Fighter 2, basically. It's so much fun. I, I had a bit of a earlier in the year I had a bit of a renaissance with gaming and um actually it's right in front of me here. Um I showed this the other day. It got my Game Boy I bought Game Boy Advance earlier in the nice. year, uh an SP and a couple of other things. But yeah, and I started to get into old gaming again. I um have not bought the sixty four, but I would like to get another one. But anyway, bring this review to a close. Is there any last comments from anybody? I just bought it in sixty four this year. So yeah. Oh well. Yeah, there you go. Right. I bought the um, uh, the jungle green one. It's the one I had that came with Donkey Kong 64 back in the day. So, yeah, I loved it. Got the expansion kit and everything, baby. Let's do it. <laughs> Mark, you come to the States, bro. We'll, we'll, we'll have a night. We'll eat pizza. We'll get pizza drunk. We'll have, pizza some, drunk. Yeah. We'll have some Stella and we'll uh, play some uh, Mario 64, bro. Yeah, I think, yeah, you'll probably see a, a, a different side of me. It'd be like... <laughs> Like if I have all that stuff. You anyway. just can't get on any of my uh, tables, man. Okay. Yeah, <laughs> I don't. Uh, just don't put Rage Against Machine on your bill, right? So, but anyway, uh, any final thoughts on Scott Pilgrim Volume Four? It's a great book. You need to check it out, and it's only getting better. Scott, I, this is my favorite holiday tradition right now. Honestly, <laughs> is reading Scott Pilgrim and chatting with you guys because it becomes more than just about the book. It becomes about us talking about ourselves. 20 yeah. years ago mm-hmm. and and it makes me feel closer to you too and i just want you to to know <laughs> how much i love and treasure you 
Y'all are oh, truly you, part of my family. That. We love you. We love Oh, you. shucks. Uh, Don't get all emotional at the end, Robbie. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe for volume six, we should all do it in person. So. <laughs> we can see hold hands. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> as long as we've got the Stella and the pizza, we're, I'm, I'm down. Yeah, yeah. We I'm are down. down. The Stella, the pizza, and the Nintendo. That's what yeah. we need. <gasps> stuff, cr- stuff crossed. <laughs> um no i agree i've well uh actually jasmine sorry do you want to go next no i got nothing no i've i've said my piece yeah no no i i agree with you though this has really weirdly become a christmas tradition i enjoy it i know that as christmas comes december's coming it's hanging out with you two chatting about scott pilgrim it was it was never a plan it was something we fell into which has been the theme of this episode we fell into this christmas tradition i'm loving it i did enjoy the book i'm actually finally pleased to see that scott pilgrim has started to progress his life uh i am curious to see what's on volume four but i will be patient and wait till next christmas to uh to see what happens so um anyway robbie is there anything you've got coming up for the rest of 2023 or and early 2024 um at the end basically we're closing out 2023 with our festivist stream which we Mm -hmm. do every single year uh december 23rd we're gonna be airing our grievances we're gonna be showing feats of strength and erecting the festivist poll it's one of my favorite things to do so join me in the pcp army there um and then outside of that, we got uh, our last PCP movie night of the year. It's a special Friday night, December 29th. We're going to be talking about New Year's Evil to wrap up Holiday Horror Fest. And then we're taking a couple, you know, we're, we're a little bit on a break right now, slowing up some production. But PCP movie night returns Monday, January 7th or 8th. I don't remember. I think it's the 7th. We're going to be talking about the entire Police Academy franchise, y'all. Oh, wow. Um, movies that none of us oh. have seen. Since we were kids, so all oh my God, seven the sound police... effects guy, I love right. him in Police Academy. Yeah. Oh my God! All seven Police Academy films talked about for the first PCP movie night of 2024. We got a hell of a lineup, y'all. Um, and fun. one last question for you. Obviously, this book club is a lot late to the party book club, and we tend to uh, cover essential what people put on their list as a essential graphic novels. Is there anything during 2023 you've read? that you feel our listeners might want to add to their essential lists that they should go and read. Yes. Um, Monica by Daniel Klaus, Daniel Klaus, who did ghost oh, yeah. world. He's got a new book out this year called Monica. It's one of my favorite books of the year, as mm-hmm. well as Tom Scioli's I am Stan. It's mm-hmm. a graphic biography of the legendary Stan Lee, and it doesn't put Stan on a pedestal, but it doesn't just trash him either. It's a very balanced and nuanced and very, very good, good graphic novel. So Monica and I am Stan. I would highly oh, okay. encourage those. I do own Monica. I haven't had time to read it. My plan is to read it over the Christmas break. So um, so that's it for us during 2024. We're This will be our final episode. We're not going to do an end of the year show. What we've decided is when we come back first week in Jan, we're going to do an end of the year show then and uh, also what's coming up next year. So, so stay tuned for Geeks and Niche to return in, in January. Uh, yeah that's that's it really so anyway you can follow us on social media we're Geeks and Niche everywhere Instagram, Facebook and Twitter uh, Robbie where can they find you? You can find us on YouTube Pop Culture Philosophers we're on Instagram or on Facebook if you're on Facebook join the PCP Army that's the official Pop Culture Philosophers Facebook group if you're on Twitter or I guess it's called X nowadays you can find me at The Rockin' Robbie and you uh, can get this podcast wherever you get your podcasts 
Google, Podbean, Apple, Spotify, whatever your preference is, we are there. So please give us a five-star review and tell your geeky friends. Uh, thank you very much for listening, everyone. And we'll see you next year. Oh, uh, Merry Christmas, everybody. Happy New Year. And good journey. Oh, good journey. <laughs> good journey. <laughs>